The Bible gives us an accurate record of history from the very beginning. It spells out an earth that appears to be about 6,000 years old, but we've been told that the earth is billions upon billions of years old. What makes sense? Where does the evidence lead? And let's talk to a geologist to find out more answers. This is Wonders Without Number. And now let's meet my guest, Dr. Andrew Snelling, has his PhD from the University of Sydney. He is a researcher with Answers in Genesis, the Creation Museum, the Ark Encounter, and more. And it's a privilege to have him on the program today. Welcome. Thanks, Glad to be here. Yes, sir. Okay, tell me just a little bit about Answers in Genesis. Uh, Answers in Genesis is an apologetics ministry with a, world, a global outreach with, through our website, uh, through our speaking programs, through our uh, two attractions, the Creation Museum, and the Ark Encounter in Northern uh, Kentucky. In fact, the world is coming to Northern Kentucky as a result. Uh, you know, every, every, every week there's people from every corner of the globe. It's amazing the people that have come because they've heard about it. And, you know, it was controversial, mm -hmm. which, you know, as you know, no, no, nothing controversial is, is bad news. It's always <laughs> good publicity. And uh, we're excited because, you know, there's so many non-Christians coming to our attractions every week that wouldn't normally grace the insides of a church and they're getting clear gospel presentations, which is really what it's all about. That is excellent. That's great. Now, your specialty is in geology. You've studied many, many things over the years, but there is this sort of geological mantra that the present is the key to the past. That's that everything's right. been going for four and a half billion years, right? Yes. That's the current age estimate for the age of the Earth based on radioisotope dating, which is the linchpin and, and that also provides the millions of years for the biologists to talk about you know, evolutionary processes. So you know, geologists have their mantra, they have their technical language, and, and it's pretty, pretty much a, a standard off-pat uh, yes. timeline. Okay, so would you agree with the millions of years? Ab absolutely not, because as a Christian, I read God's word as the eyewitness testimony. He was present, he tells us the truth. And uh, we can actually look at the, the, the timeline of human history going back to the time of creation. Adam was created on uh, day six. The earth was created on day one. They are literal days. Adam was only about 6,000 years ago. So the earth is only very young. And the interesting thing is there's, there's nothing in the scientific evidence that would dispute that. Yes, there's claims, mm -hmm. but you can show lots of evidence that supports what God's Word teaches. Well, and that's what we want to look at today. Uh, mm -hmm. And I know you've got a lot of information to cover, but God's Word clearly seems to indicate that God created everything, that it didn't take millions of years of evolution, of millions of mutations and no, natural selection. No, I point to what, what Jesus did when he was here on earth. As the Creator, he demonstrated his power to the Creator. He stilled the storm instantly. He turned water to wine instantly. So if he can do that in front of eyewitnesses there in the land of Palestine you know, 2,000 years ago, why can't he do it instantly when he created the whole universe in six days, 6,000 years ago? And that's a good point because he also, Jesus said, uh, if you don't believe Moses, why should you believe me? Moses Correct. was talking about Correct. me. And you remember the two uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus. He began with Moses teaching them all about the things that concerning himself. Wow. And so uh, the books of Moses are foundational to everything in the scriptures. The gospel is founded in there, why we need a savior, what our problem is, etc. And so the Genesis account is vital and the history records his story. Mm -hmm. He's our kinsman redeemer because he goes back to the first man, Adam. And so all of that history is so important. It's got to be literal. Otherwise, why could Paul talk about the last Adam if the first Adam wasn't correct? And so it goes on. 
Very good point. Okay, so let's look at the age of the universe just mm -hmm. a little bit here. Well, first of all, as we have up on the screen here, God told us in Genesis what happened. It's his eyewitness account, as I said before, and Jesus referred to as literal history. He quoted uh, Genesis, he spoke of the flood, he spoke of uh, Adam and Eve, the first, first people. And uh, the Bible makes it clear that God spoke the earth and the universe into existence instantaneously. And so we, we must therefore use that as our grid for understanding the evidence. I mean, that's our eyewitness, a testimony, just as in a court of law, you look at the eyewitness testimony and listen to that. God didn't deceive us because if we can't trust him in Genesis, we can't trust him anywhere else. Uh, he's not a man that he would lie. And so we ignore, we deceive ourselves if we ignore his eyewitness or testimony. That's the bottom line. The bottom line is you're saying that he has given us his eyewitness testimony, right? Correct, here. correct. And, and you see, if we don't take that into account, uh, we're saying, well, the evidence doesn't agree. Well, that's us deceiving ourselves instead of taking that as our basis. Okay. So here's the genealogies in the book of Genesis. This is the time grid that we have to use to interpret the timeline of Earth history. And as I said, the Bible is the history book of the universe. It's his story. In fact, it begins with Jesus Christ, the creator, in the middle as Jesus Christ comes to this earth and it closes with Jesus Christ returning as the, as the coming king to restore the earth to what it was originally. So it's really his story. Absolutely. And so the interesting thing is, David, that most people don't realise that most of the methods, the scientific methods that have been used to, to provide an age for the earth, mm -hmm. about 90% or more of them give a young age. Really? Only less than 10% give an old age, and they're the ones that they focus on, such as uranium decay for, for radioactive dating methods. But many of the methods that have been tried indicate a younger age. But we have to remember, it's all based on your assumptions. And that's so relevant in every one of these methods, we're assuming a process that's been constant through time. We have to assume the starting conditions. We have to assume no contamination. And it's the same with the radioactive dating methods, as we'll see in a moment. So what we're saying, yes, all these methods may give a young age, mm -hmm. but they can't prove the earth is young. Our only proof is the eyewitness testimony, not the scientists who weren't there, who are just assuming things about the past and trying to piece together the evidence to, to create the timeline. So basically a straightforward interpretation of many different types of dating methods. Just, it gives a young age for Correct. the universe. Correct. There are maybe 10% that seem to indicate opposite, right. but that is also based on interpretation. That's right. And so the primary one that's used is radioactive dating now. Okay. For the last century, geologists have, have, have put their total confidence in this methodology. And it's important that we explain it to people so they can understand there's nothing really frightening about it. It's very basic. You know, everyone's familiar with atoms. Each element is made up of unique atoms with a unique number of electrons and protons. Uh, the number of neutrons in the nucleus can vary. So that means you can have, you can have carbon uh, 12, okay. which has six neutrons. You have carbon-13, which has seven, and carbon-14 that has eight. Have the same number of electrons and protons, but that's just a slight difference. So carbon-14 is heavier, the nucleus is a bit larger, so it's unstable, and it will decay. Everyone's heard of radiocarbon or carbon-14 dating, yes. and that's because the radiocarbon atom, carbon-14, decays away, and it decays quite rapidly, and it's a dating method that's used. Okay. But we want to focus on some of the heavier atoms, you know, you have an atom like uranium, it has way too many neutrons in its nucleus and so it becomes unstable. Uh, the unstable isotopes, we call that the, the different atomic, the different uh, size nucleuses of the same, nuclei of the same 
elements, we call them isotopes. And so the, these unstable isotopes uh, eject uh, subatomic particles so they become stable. So they decay, uh, the process is known as radioactive decay, uh, and it results in uh, stable uh, isotopes of daughter atoms, different atoms. So for example, uranium decays to, to lead. Okay. We call the decaying radioisotope the parent isotope and the resultant stable isotope we call a daughter isotope. So uranium is, is unstable, that's the parent. It decays to lead, which is the daughter. There's potassium-40, which is the parent, which decays to argon-40, which is the daughter. There's rubidium-87 that decays to strontium-87. And so there's this pattern of parent-daughter relationships. And there's only a few that are used for radioisotope dating because you've got to have the right uh, concentrations of these elements in the rocks. Okay, now just a moment ago you said that we wouldn't focus on carbon-14, that we, instead we would look at some of the heavier elements. Is it true that carbon-14, if found in a sample, indicates thousands, not yes, millions? Yes, that's right, because if every atom of the, of the Earth was radiocarbon, within a million years it would all decay away. Okay. It decays so rapidly, a half-life of 5,730 years, that's if we start with one pound of carbon-14 on the table here, within a, one half-life, 5,730 years, we'll only have half a pound left. Okay. And so it decays very rapidly, whereas with uranium, the half-life of uranium-238 is 4.5 billion years. So, so it's significantly different. So if someone tries to use carbon-14 to try to prove a billion, 4.5 billion-year-old Earth... You know they're not talking about what... They don't understand what they're talking about. They don't know what about. they're talking no, about. No. Uh, radiocarbon isn't used to date rocks because most rocks don't have, radio, uh, have carbon in them. Okay. Uh, but limestones have got carbon, and they've been found to have radiocarbon in them, coal, okay. oil all have radiocarbon in, in them, indicating that they're quite young. And of course, they were produced by the flood only thousands of years ago, according to the biblical record. Okay, so we don't even need to really discuss C14 because that is actually a creationist best friend. Yes, it's it showing is, it is. that the it, universe it shows, is not billions of years old. And you can use it to show that dinosaur fossils are only thousands of years old. Okay. And so it is one of the evidences we list for young Earth. Okay. But we want to focus on the uranium because it gives these billions of year ages yes. that set up biological evolution. And so it's important for people not to, re to realize that they don't have to regard these as absolute. Okay. There's a lot of unknowns, uh, assumptions that are involved, they're calling into question their reliability. So let's, let's move on here. Yeah. These, as we said, we're not going to talk about carbon-14, but the ones we're going to mention, uranium, there's two, two, two isotopes of uranium, 238 okay. and 235. There's potassium, rubidium, and samarium. Most people haven't heard of samarium decays to ne neodymium, but actually ne these are rare earth metals. Neodymium is very important. It's a very strategic metal. You know the wind farms? Yes. The, mag the magnet in those wind farms mm -hmm. has neodymium in it because it produces a better magnetic field to get a better electricity production. Wow. And so that's in critical short supply. And so it's a, it's a metal that is well sought after and uh, the US government is quite concerned to make sure we maintain strategic supplies here. Hmm. So these are the ones that we're looking at, the parent on the left, the, daughter, the daughter on the right. On the right. Now, all minerals and rocks contain some of these parent radioisotopes and the daughter isotopes, and a rock is, kept, is tested for these. Now, there's nothing wrong with the, with the testing methodology. Okay. Uh, the instruments, uh, the high-powered equipment, uh, laboratories that are uh, suitable for this analytical work. But you see, you have to make assumptions. You have to assume that the rate of radioactive decay has remained constant at today's measured rate. Oh. And so you, you, you measure how much daughter there is now, yeah. 
and you assume that all the daughter has come from radioactive decay of the parent, and if you know the rate of decay, you can back calculate to when the rock formed, when it had none of the daughter in it. And so right. that's how it works. So by measuring the amount of daughter today and knowing the rate of decay today, assuming that it's been constant in the past, you can back calculate. So that's, it's not that hard to understand. And the easiest analogy is we've got here on the screen is the hourglass clock. Okay. Okay. So the red, the red atoms at the top okay. are the parent atoms, like the sand at the top of the hourglass. Mm -hmm. The bottom atoms, the green ones, are the daughter atoms. Okay. The falling is the radioactive decay rate. Okay. So okay. now when we use a, a clock like that, we start with all the sand in the top. Yes. We assume that there's no sand at the bottom. Yeah. Okay. And so you go out of the room. You, you know, to do a task and you come back in, you've left your clock on the hourglass clock ticking away on the bench here. You come back and you do a measurement. You look at the top bowl and the, the bottom bowl and you see that half the sand grains are now in the bottom bowl. Uh -huh. So if half has changed to the bottom, how long have you been out of the room? 30 minutes. Okay. Half of one, one hour because it's an hour, you know, already calibrated it as one hour. And so that's very important. So the first assumption, this is, that's the analogy, the first assumption is that we know the amounts of parent and daughter atoms at the beginning. In other words, the initial conditions. The problem is there were no scientists there at the beginning. You're listening to Wonders Without Number with David Reeves. The message presented today was filmed in studio at David Reeves Ministries Wonders of Creation Center and is available in video format with powerful accompanying visuals. Subscribe to our Genesis Plus package online to get instant access to the video format of this message and hundreds of others right on your computer or mobile device. If you are encouraged by this message and would like to be a part of sharing this information with millions across the globe, we would love to hear from you. Give us a call at 931-212-7990 or write us at David Reeves Ministries, Post Office Box 2824, Lewisburg, Tennessee, 37091. Visit our website, davidreeves.com today. That's davidreeves.com. And now, back to Wonders Without Number with David Reeves. How do we know when the rock formed that it didn't already have a lot of daughter in it? We weren't back there to test it. Ah. And that's, that's the problem. You see, there's lots of examples that we could come to if we have time today to talk about rocks that are being tested that have been formed before our very eyes and they do have daughter isotopes in them. So, so if who's you don't to know say that, that the hourglass did not get tipped before all of the sand correct, was in the top? Correct. That's the first problem. The second problem is that you have to be sure that all the sand in the bottom has come from radioactive decay. So what happens if what happened if someone lifted the lid while you're out of the room and added more sand to the <laughs> top? You came back and measure half and half, but in actual fact they've added more to the top, yeah. and so your clock has been contaminated. It's it's not going to give you an accurate time. And now remember these elements have been sitting out in rocks supposedly for millions of years. Rain has fallen, water's flowed through the rocks. Water with oxygen from the atmosphere will, will cause oxygenation and weathering. And most people don't realise you, you can go thousands of feet down in a mine shaft and find the effects of weathering even to those sorts of depths. Hmm. And yet the samples are collected at the surface, usually for these methods. And so you can't be sure that there hasn't been contamination. 
And then the third assumption is that your clock has ticked at the same rate in the past. That radioactive decay has always been at the, t at the constant at today's measured rate. And we've been only measuring this for the last 100 years or less. Uh -huh. And uh, while it doesn't appear that there's been any changes in that time, the, the methodology is so uh, difficult to, to do that the, and the, the um, plus or minus um, measurement uh, uncertainties are such that it's very hard to be sure that there hasn't even been some slight change in the measuring period that we've had over the time that we've done it. Wow. It's not that difficult to do mm -hmm. because you can get a pound of uranium on the desk here. You can, you can calculate how many uranium atoms are in it because mm -hmm. of the Avogadro's number, if you remember your chemistry, and then you stick a Geiger counter which measures how many atoms decay in, say, over a year, so you know how many you started, you know how many have decayed, so you can calculate the decay rate. It's not that difficult to do in principle, but in practice it's not, not easy at all because of the problems that you face with getting pure elements and good equipment. You've got the, the dead time of your equipment recording all the the ticks of the decays, etc. So none of these assumptions, of course, are provable. Yeah. That's what I point out, because the past cannot be observed and measured and hmm. tested. No scientists were there in the past. Mm -hmm. And so none of these assumptions are actually reasonable because we know that the starting conditions can vary uh -huh. and we can know that there can be contamination. And what about the third assumption? I mean, we know that contamination is constant. We know that daughter atoms can be inherited. Um, but the equality of the chemical analyses is not disputed. It's just the initial conditions. Uh, they try to overcome that with the isochron method where they use more than one sample, which can help sh rule out contamination and also the initial effects. Okay. And with assumption number two, closed system, if there has been inherited isotopes or contamination, you can usually detect that. But just because you don't detect it doesn't mean it's not present. I did a, a survey uh, for a mining company using soil samples to look at the lead from uranium decay to see if we could use th that as an exploration method for uranium deposits. And sure enough, it had proven very well in an area where there was a uranium deposit. But when we went to another area miles away, collected samples, and when we plotted all the samples, from over the uranium deposit to way uh, miles and miles away, they all landed on a line which would be regarded as an isochron line or, or, or an exact date. And, and it wasn't. It was totally meaningless because it was, an, uh, it was a mixing line huh. of, of the, uran the, the lead derived from the uranium deposit with the, with the lead in the soils over great distances. So it, it really is problematical whether the, even the isochron method is as good as it may, is maintained. Okay. Now let's look at some examples that create problems. Let's look at the uh, initial conditions. And at Mount St Helens, here's a photograph of the lava dome at Mount St Helens that formed in the, in the blasted out crater. And we actually watched that form and a sample was collected uh, from a lava flow uh, from 1986, and it was measured in 1980, uh, 1996, 10 years later, and 
we could look at the whole rock and we also separated the minerals. I should say Dr. Stephen Austin did this work. Uh -huh. I didn't do it. When I say I, I mean, you know, creation scientists generally. Yes. But for, for one of the minerals, pyroxene, it gave ages up to 2.8 million years. But you saw it form. Exactly. Uh, when we know the true age, we can tell whether the method has worked or not. And here's the problem. This is well known in the literature. You can see that this has been known since the 1960s. This is the potassium argon method. Okay. Now, argon is a gas, okay? And when a, volcanic, a volcano erupts, it's, it spews out gases as well. And those gases include argon that hasn't come from radioactive decay. Oh. And if, that, if some of that gas gets trapped in the molten rock, it gets sealed in when it cools, then you get the sample and test it for argon. It's actually got argon that is inherited from the eruption that hasn't come from radioactive decay within the sample. Okay. And so you're getting ridiculously old ages. So for example, here we've got uh, uh, from a, a, a 1959 eruption in Hawaii, uh, getting a potassium argon age of nearly eight, uh, just over eight million years. Wow. Um, and so it goes on uh, here in the East Pacific rise, up to 580, 700 million years for eruptions that are, are quite recent, that are, that are well known. So this is well documented in the literature. Yeah. Um, 10 diamonds were, were um, in Zaire, were dated using potassium argon, and they gave, that's the, now the Congo Republic, that's the, the old name oh, for okay. It, okay. The, the, that country, it's the Republic of uh, the Congo Republic. Mm -hmm. uh, it gave an age of six billion years, which of course is older than the earth itself. <laughs> right. And so that means it's a problem. Uh, they did further analyses and they discovered that there were fluids with, with argon gas in them trapped in the diamond. And so it was artificially made old by the argon that it inherited when, when the diamond formed. Okay, but when something like this questions the assumptions of secular geologists, well, they would say, well, there must be something askew because we know that the Earth Correct. is only 4.5 billion years old. Correct. And so they go looking for a solution. Correct. When we have the hit, opposite problem, they yeah. don't want to touch that. No, you've hit the nail on the head. And that begs the question, too, that if a recent eruption, the method doesn't work on it, how do we know that it works on the ancient eruptions? Absolutely. And so that's the problem. So for example, we've got uh, 14 different uh, basalts recently erupted on islands in the oceans. Mm -hmm. They give a, a rubidium strontium isochroid age of two billion years. <laughs> and uh, two volcanic centers 100 miles apart in Africa, in the Rift Valley, that we know are very recent. Uh, they give a rubidium strontium age of 7 .7, uh, 773 million years. So there's all these problems that are in literature. This one has been known for over 50 years. It's called the lead isotope paradox. Okay. Uh, you'll see, recognize some of those names. They're all recently formed islands in the different oceans. Yes. Easter Island, uh, the Canary Islands, the Azores, uh, the, Azores the Hawaiian Islands, and the basalts. All of those yield ages, recent lava flows. Uh, we call it lead, the lead lead method. It's comparing the lead from uranium 238 with lead from uranium 235. It's supposed to be the benchmark methodology for dating. All these recent lava flows give ages of one to two billion years. Wow. And the, the reason they believe this happens is because 
they believe there's different domains in the mantle, different areas in the mantle that have different lead isotope compositions. And so these lavas have come from the mantle. And so those lavas then inherited the composition of the mantle. So it has nothing to do with radioactive decay. It has everything to do with the source of these rocks. It's about your worldview. If you believe in millions of years and you use the assumptions that will give you millions of years, you'll get millions of years. But it generates problems that are solved when you take a biblical worldview and accept that the earth is only young because then you can understand why these methods don't work to give the billions of years ages that they claim to produce. Thank you so much for being here with us.